The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you invest in precious metals or mining? There are some risks involved, but done well, the rewards can be lucrative. This is the Mining Stock Report, a look at today's investing with a focus on mining and gold. Your host is Christopher Haugen. We'll speak to the experts and the leaders, as well as bring you tips on investing, best practices, and more. Now, here's Christopher Haugen. Welcome to the Mining Stock Report. I'm your host, Christopher Haugen, and we have an exciting show lined up for you today and some really knowledgeable guests to help our audience beat the market. But before we get into everything, I want to remind our listeners that I'm also the managing editor of a financial newsletter, the Mining Stock Report, where we focus news and topics directly related to the gold and mining investment industry. We encourage our listeners to go to miningstockreport.com and sign up for our free newsletter. We have Rick Rule lined up for after the break. Rick is the chairman of Sprott U.S. Equities and is considered to be one of the world's premier speakers on the global mining markets. We'll have a chance to speak with Rick about the rise and more recent decline in the gold market, as well as his thoughts on the future of gold and his advice for investors who are looking to find a, the next big run. And then later in the show, we have James Anderson of New Legacy Gold. And he's going to be here to talk to us about the iceberg and avocado deposits at his Cortez Trend property in Nevada, as well as his current exploration program and his plans for the future. So we can look forward to that. But first, we're going to kick off the show with a segment that I enjoy the most, and it's to select a few letters that we've received from our audience. Today, I'm going to do this a little bit differently and talk directly uh, about one specific topic, and that is we've been asked numerous times about the best ways to make profits in uh, when investing in mining. Now, we talk a lot about risk and reward when we start talking about mining stocks, and that's for good reason, because the risk is, is substantial. I don't want to underestimate that. But that being said, there's potential for huge rewards. So what makes the difference? What is it that mitigates the risk and exposes the reward? For me, I believe in the single greatest factor for making money with mining stocks is for the investor to adopt a core set of principles for their investment strategy. Personally, I believe success lies in three characteristics. First being diligence to put the work in. We've talked about that already. And second would be the confidence to stand by one's convictions. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, the patience to realize the potential rewards. The reality is that profits in the market are determined between the time that an investor decides to buy and when they decide to sell. If you pay too much for a stock, then it's like anything else. The bar for making profit is raised. But buying a good quality company in an out-of-favor market is a time-tested strategy. So long as the market is not obsolete, it's reasonable to forecast that the cyclical, the cyclical nature of the market will eventually see renewed interest, rewarding patient investors. The last year has seen some incredible gains in the gold markets. In 2016, we've seen the price go from an estimated low of $1,000.60 uh, per ounce to uh, roughly a high of 1360 
that's about that's 300 bucks an ounce. Gold's currently trading about 1260 per ounce. There's a nice return on anyone's investment here. But to put this in perspective, many gold stocks are trading two, three times their 52-week lows. Barrick Gold's up 145% over that 52-week period low. Almost Gold, over 250%. Newmont is up over 125%. Agnigo Eagle, 97%. Kinross, 172%. Yamana, 154%. Royal Gold, 176%. And I could go on. Many juniors have been have seen even better returns. International Tower Hill is up 280%. Our own sponsor in Legacy Gold, 430%. If you were to take Gold Standard Ventures, for example, and you had placed $10,000 at their 52-week low, that investment today would be worth $65,000. Obviously, I'm cherry-picking some prime examples here, but it doesn't take away from the fact that most investors who positioned themselves within the gold market and made well-researched picks did phenomenally well over the past year. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I'm, I'm a gold bug, and I believe that there are still lots of opportunities for big profits in the gold market. You need to do the work, though. And the gold market was out of favor with investors for a long time. That's no longer the case. A lot of the low-hanging fruit is gone, and it's off the table. And this begs the question, which market is next? Now, I'm not going to tell, tell you that I'm some sort of soothsayer that can throw a, a few chicken bones against the wall and tell you the future of gold or silver. I'll leave that to others. But this is where those three characteristics come to play. First, researching various sectors and individual companies to find new opportunities in the mining market. Then once you've identified picks, having the conviction to know your research is valid and your choices make sense and are priced in a manner to eventually profit. And finally the patience to be able to ignore all the noise, stick to your guns, and wait for these sectors to return to favor. This can take months or even years. Timing here is everything. Gold took a long time to turn around, despite the fact there were many pundits who had been forecasting a turnaround in the yellow money for years in advance. Gold's a unique commodity that investors use as a currency hedge. In periods of political and economic uncertainty, gold provides safety. But there were many events that finally drove the price of gold in 2016. A good example of a catalyst was uh, the Brexit vote. Gold saw a dramatic rise in price the morning after the vote. The key here is to anticipate where the market is headed. As a hockey fan, there's a saying, great players don't go to the puck. They go to where they think the puck is going to be. They anticipate how a play will unfold before it actually does. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Where is the next market? Well, no one can tell you with certainty. I, for one, can't give anyone the timing of the next pivot in the metal market. I believe there's a strong evidence that certain sectors have been oversold by investors and are very attractive to me. The key here is whether the timing will be a few months or even longer. For instance, the coffer market is one sector that's been out of favor for several years, but has a number of attributes that are attractive to value investors or contrarians such as myself. If you take a look at the five-year chart of copper, it looks like a ski slope heading straight downhill. Very similar to, to a gold chart in 2015. And like gold, copper is not going anywhere. It's not like the world has fundamentally shifted away from using copper as an electrical conductor. The automotive industry is a huge consumer of copper, with the average car containing nearly a mile, mile of copper wire. And the shift towards greener, more fuel-efficient and electrical automobiles increases the copper component over twofold. And that's just the automotive industry. The construction industry is by far the largest consumer of copper in the world. The effect of 
prolonged depressed copper prices had a detrimental impact on finding new supply. Simply put, copper under $2.50 a pound does not create the urgency needed to find new exploration projects. And the reality is that existing supply is diminishing. Price increases could be far more directly associated with a lack of supply than any significant increase to, to demand. Another market that I believe has been oversold and is ripe for a turnaround is uranium. There are several reasons as to why uranium has been out of favor for many years, not the least of which is the lower prices in the global energy market, or more notably the massive nuclear disaster in Japan in 2011, the Fukushima incident. Uranium currently trades between $24 and $25 a pound. That's a far cry from the high in 2007 of $135. With lower prices, we've seen virtually no new exploration or expansion of supply. Yet, we see China continue to implement new nuclear grid connections. India currently has six facilities under construction. The United States just recently announced their first new nuclear reactor to go live in more than 20 years, with two more scheduled to come online by 2019. While nuclear in the U.S. had previously fallen out of favor, the more recent trend has been fueled by public demand for cleaner, more affordable sources of energy. There are new reactors being constructed around the globe in Asia, Europe, North America, South America. And we continue to see a recovery in oil prices, and that will only put further pressure on many countries. The price to produce a pound of uranium exceeds $60. That's a far cry from the going rate. This is simply not a sustainable situa situation, and it also spells an opportunity for disciplined investors to unearth new opportunities with well-run, well-positioned uranium stocks. What I'm getting at here is not to push investors into copper or uranium. That'd be irresponsible. Rather, I'm just sharing the logic behind finding new investment opportunities before they take off. There are strong arguments for many sectors of the mining investment world. Coal stocks and specialty coal companies are trading well below historical levels. So is nickel. What about potash? The reality is there's lots of opportunities and lots of risks. One of the reasons that mining stocks are so, offer such huge potential to investors is that they are so volatile. The massive swings up and down are at the heart of the wins and losses in the sector. That's why it is key not only to find good companies, but it's also imperative that once you've put in the work to find a good company, that you have the patience and fortitude to wait out the inevitable tumultuous ride that will ensue. So to summarize, the original question was, what's the best strategy for profiting in the mining, with mining stocks? And to that I suggest that investors not listen to the latest new flavor of the week or follow the, this new investment trend. Don't go to where the puck is, but rather anticipate where it's going. With one exception, I'm a confirmed gold bug, so I'll always have an exposure to the yellow metal in my portfolio. Now when we return from the break, we're going to have a real treat in store for you as we'll be speaking with uh, one of the best minds in the resource investment sector, Rick Rule, And we're going to discuss his thoughts on the recent trials and tribulations of gold, as well as get some advice on how to find new opportunities in the mining market. And don't forget, later in the show, we're going to speak with James Anderson of Legacy Gold and get an update on the Cortez Trend property in Nevada. So stay tuned to the Mining Stock Report. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network with your host, Christopher Haugen. As we talked about in the earlier segment, 2016 has been a banner year for both gold and silver stocks. But in the last few weeks, we've seen a pullback in gold and gold equities. This has led many investors to worry about whether the bull ride is over for these precious metals, or if this is just a very predictive pullback that occurs any time we see such a big run. There are always lots of opinions out there on the near-term future of gold, but if gold has indeed run its course, or if it's simply going to take a prolonged break to close out the year, perhaps it's time that we talk about what's the next big metals market that we should be focusing our attention on. Unfortunately, there are very few people who have the credibility or track record that force you to listen and take heed, which is why I'm really looking forward to speaking with our next guest. He takes a very measured approach to investing in the mining market as a long and public history of success. He's also an admitted contrarian and another big proponent of putting in the work. Our next guest is one of my personal favorites. He's a sought-after speaker, a well-known market contrarian, and uh, he's also the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings, Mr. Rick Rule. Uh, Rick, thanks for taking the time for uh, to join us here today. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Now, Rick, let's uh, let's get get things kicked off with a question. I'm sure you've been asked about a million times the past couple of weeks, and and that's about this recent correction in the gold market. It's trading around 12:55 this morning. What do you believe is going on here? Uh, well, first of all, I believe it's a natural and normal to have mm-hmm. a correction in the bull market. Uh, the gold market, and more particularly the gold equities markets, are notoriously volatile. Yeah. And the truth is that uh, 20, 30, 40, even 50% uh, cyclical um, declines in secular bull markets <laughs> are commonplace. And <laughs> yes. we're experiencing one. They're healthy. And I think it had to happen. So. I think for a variety of reasons, it's a good thing. I don't believe it's the head fake that some people have been suggesting. I don't believe that the bull market is over. I think that um, we had an overbought, um, you know, uh, situation in the summer. And I think what we're experiencing now is natural and normal. 
Okay. And, um, well, I guess to expand on that a little bit, do you, do you think that the U.S. Fed here can, can sustainably raise interest rates um, in this current sort of global environment of zero and negative rates? Um, we keep hearing about a possible... You know, uh, if you give a stockbroker like me <laughs> the use of a word "could," we can make any scenario plausible. Sure. I actually think an increase in the interest rate would be healthy for the global economy because it would force us to take a pill. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that anybody wants to take the pill. I don't want think that anybody wants mm-hmm. to face the cure. I think that everybody wants to kick the pain down the road, and so I think the probability of a measurable interest rate increase is very, very low. Uh, I don't think that's something that, uh, ironically, I don't have to think that the gold bugs have to worry about the market doing the right thing and thus derailing the bull market in gold. Okay, so you you know, it, with you think that gold can continue on even in a in an environment here where, which which I mean it has previously. So. Yeah, I mean, I I personally believe that ultimately the stimulus for a gold bull market would be a a, a zero interest rate environment. A negative interest rate environment is insane. If you think about what gold is competing with in terms of sovereign instruments, you're competing with an instrument (laughs) where the government for the first time in your life and my life tells you the truth, which is we're going to steal some of your money. Uh, Jim Grant famously called that return-free risk. And return-free risk isn't ultimately a lot of competition for gold. So, uh, and again, sort of carrying on to that same theme, uh, bullion versus the stocks, how do you think this is going to affect, let's say, the the price of gold equities over the near term and and longer term? Well, I think an investor needs to consider being in both for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gold is simultaneously a medium of exchange and a store of value, and so it has utility in portfolio as sort of a highly volatile form of liquidity or cash. You own gold in one sense the way that you would have cash to ensure your lifestyle against perturbation and economic outcomes, and also you own it the way that you own life insurance or auto insurance. You don't necessarily want to get paid off by the set of circumstances that would make gold vault in value, but you sleep better owning some. Uh, absolutely. The gold equities are something that you own for a different reason. Mm-hmm. You own them because you expect the increase in the gold price to disproportionately reward the owners of businesses that successfully exploit the exploit gold. And I think there's room in portfolios. In fact, I think there's a need in most portfolios for both. Okay. And and your long-term outlook then for gold would be I think that gold will hold its value, and yeah. I don't think that competing instruments will. Okay. Uh, I think it will feel like the gold price going up. I- if you would allow me a brief illustration here. One sure, of the, absolutely. Uh, one of the beauties of becoming my age <laughs> is that history begins to make sense because you've lived some of it. Uh, about 30 years ago, I used to stay occasionally of necessity uh, at a lodging chain called Motel 6. Mm-hmm. Younger people won't know this, but it was named Motel 6 because a room there cost $6. I passed Motel 6 on my way to work today, and it said, Motel 6, 63.95. Now, that means that a room that 30 years ago was $6, or 35 years ago was $6, is now 63.95. There's only one of two explanations for this. Either a room at Motel 6 is 10 times as spacious and 10 times as well-appointed, or the denominator, that which you use to buy a room at Motel 6, has depreciated in terms of utility by 90%. Uh, I would suspect it was the former relative to the latter. Now, what does this have to do with gold? Mm-hmm. When rooms at Motel 6 were cheap, that is when they were $6, an ounce of gold would buy me five or six of them. Yep. Now that a room at Motel 6 is expensive, an ounce of gold will buy me 13 or 14 of them. 
that's what I mean about gold holding its purchasing power over time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'd like to change things up a little bit. That's a, that's a great illustration, actually. I think it, 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 it gets to the heart of the, of the, of the gold argument. Um, but, again, I'd like to change things a little bit here. I'd, and I'd, I think it would be really valuable here to talk a little bit about your contrarian approach to the market um, in relation to mining. What do you mean uh, when you say to, to be brave when others are fearful and, and fearful when others are brave? Um, natural resource markets, including precious metals markets, but all natural resource markets, are both volatile and cyclical. Mm-hmm. They're different things. The mining business and really all extractive businesses, you know, add back oil and gas, um, follow very, very, very broad cycles. And when, uh, I mean, the first thing to understand, and I'll illustrate this too, is that bear markets, like the ones that we've been through in mining markets, uh, are the authors of bull markets. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple things happen. One, markets just psychologically become extremely oversold. Yeah. Because people's expectation of the future is set by their experience in the immediate past. And if your immediate past has been painful, you expect the future to be painful. If your immediate past has been pleasant, you expect the future to be pleasant. But you ultimately resolve a bear market and come into a bull market one of two ways. The very low commodity prices can increase the utility to users of that commodity and thereby increase demand organically. Uh, that's called demand creation. One way out of a out of a bear market is mm-hmm. demand creation, where the low price of the commodity in and of itself stimulates demand. We aren't seeing that, and we haven't in the last bear market as a consequence of a very slow economy globally, a synchronized mm-hmm. uh, slow economy around the world. What we're seeing is something uh, more pernicious, but in fact more dramatic, which is supply destruction in a variety of of uh, commodities around the world, uh, we are and have been producing the commodity for less than the total cost of production. Let's look at uranium as an example. Both the International Energy Agency and Cameco believe that the total cost to produce a pound of uranium on a global basis, including the cost of capital, is between 60 and 65 US dollars per pound. The industry sells uranium in the spot market at $25 a pound. So you make the stuff for 60, you sell it for 25. Mm -hmm. You lose $35 a pound and you try and make it up on volume. That doesn't work. What happens over time is that the industry capitalizes all the surplus capital that it raised in equity markets and made during bull markets. And the consequence of that is that you destroy productive capacity so that when the market, the supply and demand rebalance, Mm-hmm. Small changes uh, in the price can't be addressed by the industry in terms of supply increases because they've obliterated their ability to supply, and you get these price spikes. You'll recall in the early part of the last decade, 2000, 2001, 2002, yep. Yep. we watched this occur writ large as the commodity bull market that we experienced in the decade of the 90s made itself felt around the world. The uranium price went from $8 to $130. The oil mm-hmm. price went from $18 to $130. The copper price went from $0.90 cents to $4.50. This is the response to supply destruction and further evidence of my suggestion that bear markets are the authors of bull markets. So when I say you must be a contrarian or you will be a victim, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that the very punishment being inflicted on the investment community and on the issuers during the during the 
the uh, bear market is setting the stage for a dramatic recovery. That's the nature of the way resources work. And the corollary to that, of course, is that when you have a commodity that's enjoying sort of 50% operating margins, Mm -hmm. it's too good to last. People are over five or six years reinvesting the surplus cash and also inducing capital markets to come up with money as a consequence of very, very high operating margins. And the supply response always drowns out demand, particularly where high commodity prices are reducing the utility of the commodity to users and encouraging conservation or substitution. Well, this, now my next question might actually, you may have already answered it here because you were talking about the uranium side, but, you know, we seem to be emerging from this prolonged bear market for mining equities where, you know, companies were grossly oversold, not just gold and silver. Um, Since the move with gold's really already happened and the being a deep value guy, where do you where do you believe investors should be focusing their attention if they want to anticipate the next move? Well, certainly, if you would have asked me three months ago, the answer would have been coal. Um, <laughs> we we began to get the sort of response that you would expect with supply destruction yeah. in coal. It's my belief that the oil and gas sector will cool off before it heats up. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I, did, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the oil and gas business, which is at once a bigger and a better business than the mining business. Uh, if I'm right and we have a sell-off in the oil prices and oil equities, I think we're going to have a really catastrophic sell-off in oil and gas junk debt. Yep. Uh, and if that happens, I think that'll, that'll <clears throat> set up a once-in-a-decade opportunity. Um, longer term, I like the entire base metals pro- uh, uh, complex, but I probably particularly like the copper business. Um, and I like the uranium business. Uh, I think the stage is being set for uh, maybe not the same type of recovery that we enjoyed in the last decade, which is truly insane. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the uranium price recover to $75. And the increase from 25 to 75 would do some pretty stunning things in the uranium market, particularly because the memory of the last bull market in uranium is so fresh in speculators' minds. Yeah, absolutely. I think the market response might be really um, <laughs> crazy. Well, the um, I'm gonna I'm gonna close out the rest of the show uh, with asking a question. I do uh, one of the things that we we promote on this show has been that if you're going to do your own stock picking, you need to do the work. That that's the bottom line. We obviously you do this sort of thing every day when you analyze markets and individual equities. So when doing your due diligence on a company or analyzing a market, could you give us uh, one thing that's a personal favorite of yours to look for in a potential investment? As like as an example for myself, I, I tend to read through the MDNA because it, I believe it's it provides some context to what management's been doing and operations have been doing. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give you three because okay. I don't think you can do one in isolation. No, I, that's great. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've come to believe that the collective resumes of the management team mm-hmm. have to suggest expertise specific to the task at hand. Too often, someone yeah. will describe him or herself as having been a success in mining when the success came as an example operating a gold mine in Archean terrain French speaking Quebec mm-hmm. when their proposal is to look for copper in young tertiary volcanics in Spanish speaking Peru yeah. and the preparation the skill set uh, with the management team isn't necessarily suited to the task at hand so I want a very high correlation between the resumes of the people who propose to add value and the project that they propose to add value in. Specific expertise, yeah. 
Yes. The second thing I want is scale. Uh, too often, management teams go looking for a small mine, this sort of bootstrap proposal, the idea being that they can utilize the cash flow from the small mine to grow the company organically without having to add mm -hmm. uh, additional dilution. The problem with that is seldom works. Uh, everything that can go wrong with a small mine can go wrong with a big mine, but a small mine can only ever make you small money, never big money. So if you're going to take the risk inherent in mining, I think that you need to go large. Yes. The second problem, of course, with that thesis is that the skill sets required in exploration, construction, development, and operation are too broad and too diverse to often be accommodated to one small company. In other words, the skill sets required to do that are hard to maintain and hard to afford mm -hmm. in a small company. And, and the third thing is that in every phase of investing in a junior, what you are doing is you're answering a series of unanswered questions. And you need to determine two things, I guess, really, three things. The first thing that you need to determine is that the management understands what they're about. In other words, if you say, yes, I'll put money in, but tell me, what the biggest unanswered question is that is in front of you right now, uh, how you propose to answer it, how much money it's going to take you to answer it, what it's worth if you get a yes, and what time frame it's going to take. What you'll learn if you propose a question like that is that fully 80% of the juniors don't understand that they're in the business of answering unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. The most important unanswered question to them is, will I have a paycheck in 12 months time frame? And while it's important to them, it doesn't add any value to you. Absolutely. What's useful with this is that you can eliminate 80% of the companies that are bothering you for money and concentrate your efforts more fully on the 20% that stand a chance to deliver value to you. And th that, great answer. Uh, I think that's really going to be helpful to people here who are um, you know, looking for, for additional things to look for when they're doing their own due diligence. And uh, anyways, Rick, thanks again. I know you're busy, and uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time to join us here. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your efforts to uh, educate another generation of <laughs> mineral exploration speculators. <laughs> no worries. You, uh, you have a great day, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you. We've been speaking with Rick Rule, the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings. Sprott trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol SII. Sprott is a natural resource investment firm that offers investments to all individuals who are interested in the precious metals, mining, and oil and gas sector. If you'd like more information on Sprott, go to the website at SprottGlobal.com. That's Sprott2TsGlobal.com. After the break, we'll be speaking with James Anderson of New Legacy Gold. Mr. Anderson will talk to us about his exploration program that's been going on at their property in the Cortez Trend and a recent deposit that they've discovered. So make sure to stay tuned to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite 
invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the Mining Stock Report, and I'm your host, Christopher Haugen. I'd like to welcome to the show James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold Corp. Uh, New Legacy trades on the TSX Venture under the ticker symbol NUG and in the U.S. over-the-counter under NULGF. Uh, I've known James for several years and consider him to be a very good friend of mine. Uh, New Legacy Gold is a gold exploration company that is focused on the Cortez Trend property located in Nevada. Uh, it's in close proximity to uh, Barrick's Gold Rush deposit. Welcome to the show, James. We are good friends, and thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Now, for the sake of our listeners, could you give our audience just a little bit of a background about yourself and how you got involved with New Legacy Gold? Sure. I was in the brokerage business in Vancouver, Canada for many years, and as part of the the brokerage community Mm -hmm. here in Vancouver, one of the, the sort of subsets of the brokerage community is we finance junior mining exploration all over the world. It's one of the things that the brokerage community in Canada does very, very well and kind of uniquely because there is no other facility worldwide to do that. So I was involved with that for many years. Uh, I got out of the brokerage business and in 2012, New Legacy Gold, which at the time uh, was run by a very long-term friend of mine, Albert Matter, who you know, Chris. Yes. And in 2012, New Legacy drilled a discovery hole onto this project that we were uh, exploring in Nevada. And that drill hole, our hole six on this property, returned 27 meters of 1.4 grams of gold. And that's very, very good. But more importantly, the head geologist that we have working with us, Roger Steiniger, was able to identify that as Carlin-type gold mineralization. And Carlin systems in Nevada can be very, very large. So uh, I met with Albert. Albert and I agreed that I should join the, the, the company as CEO. Albert became chairman. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> well, before we get into your, uh, I guess, your recent drill program, uh, which I want to talk about Perhaps we could talk a little about the Cortez trend and why this is so significant to the company. So in most parts of the world, gold deposits do not happen just one at a time. They almost always happen um, in trends or in in areas where you get a whole bunch of, of gold deposits. Mm-hmm. And that's where we explore. I mean, it's it's a little bit, let's say, in the, in the oil and gas business. Um, we explore for oil and gas in West Texas. Uh, you don't necessarily explore for oil and gas in other parts of, of the world. There's not very much oil production in Hawaii, let's say. Uh, so in Nevada, which is a very large and important gold mining jurisdiction, if Nevada was its own country, 
it would be the fifth largest gold producing nation in the world. So there's lots and lots of gold that's produced there. Most of that gold, though, happens in these Carlin-type gold systems that I've been referring to, and that's, yeah. they, they are named after the small town of Carlin in this part of Nevada. And then there are several trends that uh, happen generally on a northwest to southeast basis through the state. The most famous one is the Carlin trend, and it's most famous because the, the, there is more gold that has been discovered and produced there than any other area, and it's a little bit older. We're working in the Cortez trend, which is mm -hmm. just south of the Carlin trend. Um, the, the discovery of the large deposits has been a little bit later than in Carlin, but arguably the deposits that, are, that exist in, in Cortez are even more robust, have more gold and at a higher grade than even some of the, um, the best Carlin deposits in, wow. in the Carlin trend. Wow, that's uh, and for the listeners, if you want to, you can actually download. Uh, we have a, a map of the region, so you can get a better idea of where they're located in relation to other companies and and the Cortez and the Carlin trends. I'd like to discuss both the iceberg and uh, avocado deposits uh, because you've been really active uh, lately with your exploration. There was some recent news regarding the newly discovered avocado deposit that you had a significant, that's really had a significant impact on your share price and trading volume. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on this and what's, what's been going on there? Sure. So during the, the downturn in gold for the last few years, up until the beginning of 2016, we chose to expend almost all of our exploration dollars on what we call our iceberg deposit. So named because when we got the initial drill results, we felt that it might be just the tip of the iceberg in, in the whole deposit area. So we, we focused on that, spent most of our money there. Um, this year, however, we've chosen, because uh, we've got a little bit more money in our treasury, we've chosen to drill some exploration holes, some real wildcat holes, if you will, on different portions of this very large project that we have. So it's the, the project itself is 38 square miles in size. Uh, for those of you who, who are happier with metric, it's 98 square kilometers. Uh, but nonetheless, a very large area, and we've been able to go out and, and test some of these other areas. Mm -hmm. One of them is called Avocado. It's called Avocado because in plan view, the induced polarization geophysical anomaly that we were drilling kind of looks like a sliced <laughs> avocado. So I called it avocado a number of years ago and the name stuck. So uh, regardless, we drilled our second exploration hole into that this year, our second and third exploration hole. Both of them came up with very important gold mineralization in a completely new area that's about a mile and a half north of Iceberg where we've been spending our money and getting very, very good results. The first of these two holes, which is our avocado hole number two, got a 200 meter, so it's a 655 foot interval of gold mineralization. It's at a quarter of a gram per ton, so it's fairly low grade. And some people will look at it and say, well, it's, you know, it's only a quarter of a gram, you know, it doesn't, you know, quite maybe make the, the, the economic grade, but having 655 feet of continuous gold mineralization in just the second hole that we've drilled out there, that's very, very important. And our geological staff, headed by Roger Steininger, feels that feels quite strongly that we are likely to be just on the periphery of another gold deposit there. 
the, the next drill hole that we drilled out there got 25 meters of a gram. Uh -huh. So the, the grade has already started to improve significantly. Yes. And that one was 650 meters, so about 2,100 feet away from the, the, the other drill hole. So we've already established a, a very large area. It's virgin territory out there. There's almost no historical drilling. So it's a blank canvas and we're, we're very excited about it. Well, that's, that's great to hear. Um, now, aside from Avocado, New Legacy has also been working uh, on their iceberg deposit for the past several drill seasons. Um, please tell us what's going on with Iceberg and how the exploration company, uh, sorry, exploration program has been progressing. So once again, we've been spending most of our money over the last few years at Iceberg. We've drilled, as we speak, uh, almost 100 drill holes into Iceberg. There's about eight or ten drill holes that are out for assay yeah. currently, and and you know we'll see the how much gold those ones have in them. But generally speaking, you'll be drilling into to November, uh, I, correct? Yeah, that's correct. We we actually had three drills turning on the property a little bit earlier, but what okay. we found is that we were getting the the, the the data back or the the we were drilling so quickly that the data was coming back too slowly for us to be able to adjust our drill patterns so currently we've just got one drill turning on the property and we'll we'll likely go in that direction for the next couple of months but back to iceberg I, iceberg is a gold deposit that's about three kilometers long up to 500 meters wide the north zone and central zone is where we've been concentrating there's a south zone to it as well. We've drilled about a half dozen holes into that. The first couple were very good. The next few weren't so good, so we've kind of put that on the back burner for a while. But at north and central zone, we get good, consistent carlin-type mineralization. It's all oxidized. Mm -hmm. And for your listeners, um, if I can just detail that for a moment, it makes a big, big difference in Nevada whether the mineralization is oxidized or sulfide. Ours is all oxidized, and what that means is that the good Lord has done a lot of your processing for you. You're able okay. to take that material, put it on a leach pad, uh, put some cyanide on it, come back 30 or 60 days later, and you're mining gold. So it's all oxidized, it's near surface, and it's very good grade. This is likely to be a very robust um, gold deposit for mining in the upco in the you know in in the years ahead. Uh, and again, now is uh, because it's oxidized, does that make it more economical? It, it certainly does. Um, if it's not oxidized, then you have to take the material and put it through either a roaster or an autoclave. Okay. It's uh, very capital intensive in Nevada, despite the fact that uh, the, it's such a great gold mining jurisdiction. Really, there's just Newmont and Barrick who have the big autoclaves. So to, to not have to go down that route, I think will be very beneficial for us. Okay. Now, we've talked about uh, avocado and iceberg. Um, but this really is a large exploration property. Um, could you speak uh, to the size of the property and why this is such a unique feature for, for New Legacy? Yeah, it is. So it's, it's 38 square miles. So let's, you know, let's think about that for a second. Um, if you drive four miles in one direction, stop, turn right, and then drive for 10 miles <laughs> and make it square. It's a very, very big property. Yeah. We have the second largest land holdings in the Cortez Trend after our one of our major shareholders, Barrick Gold. Yes. Um, Barrick mines almost a million ounces of gold from the Cortez Trend per year. So you wow. Think about that for a second. It's 20% of the largest gold mining company in the world yeah. gets its production right from here. But to the size of our property, 
Um, we've probably only explored about 10%, <coughs> pardon me, of the whole surface area mm -hmm. of, the, of the land package. So we will be exploring there for many, many years to come. Okay, now you mentioned Barrick being a shareholder. You guys have built a really strong uh, shareholder base that includes a number of large mining companies and institutional investors. Perhaps you could tell our audience a little about, uh, about this and why it's such an asset for New Legacy. I think it's a testament to the quality of the project, the size of the project, and the, the drill results that we've been getting over the last few years that we've managed to attract so many strong shareholders to the company. So our largest shareholder currently is Oceana Gold. Oceana is a mid-size Australian gold mining company. They have a corporate mandate to expand more in the Americas, and part of their investment in us is a reflection of that. Oceana currently owns 17.5% of our company. They've been very, very helpful, very supportive of our exploration efforts. Barrick Gold, that's the largest gold mining company in the world, yep. and uh, very active in, in the Cortez. As a matter of fact, on the highway, Leading into Cortez, there's billboards that say Barrick Gold Mining Country. So you, you, know, you know you're in Barrick Gold Mining Country when you see that. Uh, but they own 11.5%, 11.8% of our company currently. Wow. Uh, Rob Kretschmeroff, who is Barrick's head of global exploration, has joined our board. So again, uh, just a reflection on what the exploration people at Barrick think of our project and of our exploration efforts. Uh, I guess well, one, one last one, uh, again, very supportive, very helpful um, shareholder, Tocqueville Gold Fund from New yes. York. Uh, it's one of the premier gold mutual funds in the world, and uh, they've been very supportive of our efforts as well. Oh, that's great to hear. And, um, and what's the current cash position of the company? It's about 13 million Canadian dollars, so about 10 million US dollars. And what's the uh, current estimated market cap for the company? About 90 million US dollars. Okay. Uh, so, aside from the experience you've had in the Cortez trend, um, what are your thoughts regarding operations within the state of Nevada? Well, I was born in Timmins, Ontario, and Timmins, Ontario is a small city in, in northern Ontario, Canada. It's mining country. Mm -hmm. There's gold mines and base metal mines all over the place. And the people of Timmins like mining. It is, they are miners. It is considered great economic activity to provide metals to the world marketplace. A lot of places in the world don't view it like that. A lot of places in the world view it as um, uh, an environmental problem. They don't see a, uh, a small open pit on a hill as economic activity. They see it as a, a blight. Mm -hmm. and the people of northern Nevada, they like mining. There's a lot of people who make a very, very good living from mining in northern Nevada. You can you can get permits to explore in Nevada easily. There is there is a rule of law and a permitting structure that works. Yep. It's not, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's not crazy easy to be able to get these permits. There is a robust permitting process, but it's knowable. We know what we need to do to present to the regulators the permitting process, and we go about that. But you can permit in Nevada, you can explore in Nevada, you can mine in Nevada. So all of those things lead us as, a, as an exploration company to be driven towards Nevada. If we find a really large gold deposit here, yeah. our shareholders deserve to have the financial benefit of being skillful enough and lucky enough to be able to pull that off. Mm -hmm. There are lots of places in the world where as soon as you find yes. a big deposit, 
then there is some general or some colonel in charge who will steal that deposit from you. Yeah, absolutely. Political stability is a huge is a huge factor, I think, for these exploration companies. That I think I think so because again, the, this the 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 gold exploration business is difficult enough without having that asset stolen from you at the end of the day. So we we love Nevada. It's a great place to do business. The people of Nevada are are, are excellent. Uh, they're miners, and we just enjoy working there. And the and the infrastructure in and out of the properties. Well, that too is true. Um, you can drive a Chevette right in the <laughs> middle of our property. Uh, there are two paved highways to within about a fifteen or twenty minute drive. Okay. There are three. Well, there are two enormous gold mines within a 15 or 20 minute drive. So the availability of, of mining labor, the availability of electricity, water, um, first world amenities, it's, it, it is beyond compare to mining anywhere else in the world as far as I'm concerned. Now, I know that uh, New Legacies worked really hard to build a strong management team, both on, on, on the board, out on the field, and even in their uh, an advisory capacity. Could you tell us a little about your team and, and the strategy you've had there? Well, again, this asset has managed to attract a lot of good people. Uh, let me, I won't be able to name everybody that's associated with the, the company, but l- let me start with my business partner and our chairman, Albert Matter. Yeah. Uh, Albert, I've known for many, many years. Albert has many talents, but one of his very unique abilities is to be able to negotiate with big mining companies as well as anybody I know. Mm-hmm. This used to be one of Barrick's exploration projects. Yes. We ended up negotiating an exploration deal where we were going to earn a 70% interest, and we managed to catch our friends at Barrick at a time last year when they were very focused on reducing their the, the, the debt associated with their balance sheet and straightening up their balance sheet a little bit. So at that time, we approached them to buy the residual 30% that, of the project that we did not already own. So now we have 100% of it, and a lot of that magic uh, just comes from Albert's innate ability to negotiate with big mining companies. Uh, Roger Steiniger, who's our other partner, head of, head, head of exploration for our company, based in Reno, Nevada. Uh, Roger has a, an encyclopedic knowledge of every square inch of Nevada, what's going on, in terms of exploration uh, on, on various places in Nevada for 30 years. He's very imaginative in terms of his exploration process. He's um, you know, fabulous to work with him. Alex Davidson is on our board. Alex was head of exploration for Barrick for many, many years. Uh, he sits on the board of Yamana, which is another large mining company, but is on our board as well. And Alex is there because he believes, like we do, that we might be on to the next giant deposit in the Cortez trend. And he he finds that very exciting, just as, as the rest of us do. Now, you mentioned Roger Steiniger, just to go back for a second. He's credited with finding one of Barrick's mines in this region, is it not? That's correct. And if I, if I did not mention that already, how dare I? <laughs> uh, Roger is credited with the discovery of three gold deposits in the Western United States, which uh, is very unusual for, for any geologist. Uh, but he's also credited with the discovery and, and drilled all of the first holes at the pipeline deposit, which is right, it's about 25 miles away from where we're working, mm-hmm. same geological environment. So Roger knows the rocks in this area as well as anybody uh, and has continued success, continued exploration success all through his career. Before we go, I'd like to get your thoughts on the resurgence of the gold market this year and the dramatic effect it's had on many of the gold stocks out there. Uh, 
what are you thinking here that this trend will continue and uh, how do you see gold over the say the next couple of years well for your listeners I guess one thing that I should point out that uh, I might view gold just slightly differently than some people some people view gold as a commodity mm-hmm. well gold is not a commodity certainly not a regular commodity because we really don't consume it but 95% of all of the gold that's ever been mined in the world still exists Gold is a currency, and in a lot of ways, it's the perfect currency. And it's the perfect currency mm-hmm. because governments cannot bastardize it. They cannot print it up out of thin air and distribute it. In the United States, but also throughout the world right now, we have a situation which is un- unparalleled, really, uh, in world history, where every currency, every governmental, yeah. government-issued fiat currency on the planet is being diluted and bastardized as we go forward. So in many cases even as a strategy an economic strategy of, the, of these governments. They're not they're, they're not hiding this no. really. It's it's you know it, it's it's hiding in plain view <laughs> is what it is. So our, our Japanese friends for instance they've had interest rates that are close to zero for two decades now. They have had quantitative easing where the central bank in Japan simply prints up money out of thin air Mm -hmm. and buys government bonds. But now they've gone past that and they're taking their newly fresh printed yen and now they're buying equities. The the central bank in Japan is now a top five holder of the biggest 20 companies in Japan. How you unravel that Mm -hmm. is beyond me. I have no idea why there's still a bid on Japanese yen yeah. is beyond me as well. But in Europe, the same thing. Um, their central banker, Mario Draghi, has been debasing the euro for some time now. The quantitative easing program that they're engaged in right now is 2 billion euros a day. Wow. It's incredible. And the United States, the, the, we have, we've had three um, rounds of quantitative easing. They've stepped away from that right now. Mm-hmm. Will they continue to raise interest rates? I don't see how the Fed can raise interest rates in a world environment where we have negative interest rates. So one way or another, uh, I I have all the confidence in the world in central bankers and in politicians that they will continue to destroy the value of fiat currencies currencies and government-issued currencies. That's where gold comes in. Gold stands as a currency beyond that. And I think going forward, at least for the next few years, I, I don't really see very much that can hurt gold. I think that gold can be can be very, very can be, can be well supported in this financial environment. James, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. I, I can't wait to do it again. We've been speaking with James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold. New Legacy trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the ticker symbol NUG or over-the-counter in the, in the United States under the symbol NULGF. If you'd like more information on New Legacy Gold, we encourage you to check out our website, miningstockreport.com, or go to newlegacygold.com. We always advise people to perform their own due diligence, so if you have a question about this interview or New Legacy directly, call their investor relations contact. Thank you again for tuning in. You've been listening to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Christopher Haugen, signing off, and good luck in the markets. Thank you for tuning in to the Mining Stock Report. 
Please be sure to join Christopher Haugen again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Here's hoping that you have a profitable week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 